Hello and welcome to this week's Ulster Rugby Roundup, your one-stop shop for all things Ulster Rugby from the Belfast Telegraph. I'm Adam McKendry, your host as per usual. We have got so much to talk about this week, a big win over Munster in the United Rugby Championship quarterfinals. Just this small matter of a semi-final down in Cape Town against the DHL Stormers to look forward to. And oh yeah, we've uh, got a former Ulster player on the podcast. Robbie Dyack is coming up very shortly. Jonathan and I spoke to him a little bit earlier. We're very excited for you to hear that. Of course, I have mentioned him there. He is my co-host, Jonathan. How are you, mate? I'm very good, very good. Adam, how are you? I'm keeping very well. Unfortunately, not going to Cape Town. I, I did look at it just out of curiosity. I, I was never going to Cape Town like this. <laughs> Let's not try and pass it off as I was genuinely looking. I was only looking out of curiosity and the flight prices made my eyes water. It was hilarious. I did the same walking home on Friday night. And uh, I think the cheapest, sorry, the cheapest I could get with uh, only one stop was £1,400. And I think the cheapest I could get it with any number of stops was £800. So... Oh, well, you were doing better than me at 800. Like I was, I was looking at, I think it was Dublin to Doha, Doha to Johannesburg, Johannesburg to Cape Town. Like that was, <laughs> that's the kind of roundabout journey I do. And at one point I found out that I could leave on Friday, arrive on Saturday and then fly back out on the Saturday night and <laughs> be home on Sunday. And at one point I genuinely thought to myself, could I swing this? And then decided, no, nah, maybe not. I think it probably would have taken you about a week and a half to work out what day it was then after doing that. Oh, goodness, you'd be all over the place, wouldn't you? Between time zones and 11-hour flights, it would have just been chaos. But fair play to anybody who is heading down. I'm not sure if anybody is, but if anybody is travelling, all credit to you. That's a heck of a journey. But look, before we get on to uh, Stormer's chat and before we chat to Robbie about the game, Let's talk about the Munster game. 37-16 Ulster win at Ravenhill. I'm just going to go straight in with a listener question from Donald O'Reilly where he asks, was that the closest to an 80-minute performance we have seen from Ulster this year or was it a per 80-minute performance from Munster? We have talked on the podcast before about how we don't think that there is such a thing as a full 80-minute performance. But Jonathan, how close was that to an 80-minute performance from Ulster? I think it was very, very close. In not in terms of 80 minutes, but in terms of playing the game from start to whenever it was won, which I suppose was around, you could make the argument that it was the 43-minute mark, but probably around the, around the 60-minute mark. I mean, if Donald talks about not really believing in 80-minute performances there. Like, even as bad as Monster were, they weren't bad for the full 80 minutes. They had a sort of, I suppose, eight, nine-minute purple patch, despite uh, knocking on the opening kickoff and turning the ball over to end the game, which was wholly fitting because they didn't do much in between apart from that. But, you know, they did have that sort of little period of ascendancy, if you like, where Jean Klein scores a try that I suppose has to go down as a, a chip and gather. Is, is that the only way we can describe that? He judged that he flicked it back up in the air with his foot and caught it himself. I feel, I feel like a chip has to be deliberate, though. Like, that that was most definitely a pass that just happened to deflect off his ankle and then back into his hands. Yeah, not not like not the only monster pass that was fired into somebody's ankles. But um, between that try and then I suppose what really has to go as the turning point in the match was the uh, Rob Balakun tackle on 
Joey Carberry because it's all well and good us sitting here saying Ulster dominated that game from start to finish and Munster were so bad that Ulster would have beat them comprehensively regardless of how they take the, taken the lead. But you just never know. Like that would have been in the second quarter and Munster would have taken a lead. Their tails would have been up. Ulster, you know, you could have had that thought creeping in that Munster had won the last three games between the two sides. And it could have been a completely different game. As it is, Ulster go up the other end, scored. Now, me and you have been talking quite recently about we, what we thought Ulster's best try of the ERC this season had been. And sort of struggling to find a bit of consensus, but I don't think there's any arguments that it was uh, that that first Stuart Murray try is the best try they've scored in the league all season. Just a really, really well ex- well sorry, well designed first and foremost, well designed strike move, and then well executed strike move uh, to get Stuart Murray over in the corner, and then from there they just looked wholly comfortable. Maybe it's not fair to say comfortable, but it was clear from that moment on who the better side were from really until the game was won. And Munster enjoyed a bit of possession and a bit of territory towards the end. I feel like the true answer as to how this game was won lies somewhere in between Munster were bad and Ulster were very good because both things are true, but not to the degree that they are mutually exclusive in terms of how the game was won. Like, the Ulster were very good, but I think they were very good because their execution was very good. There weren't many moments in that game where Ulster didn't manage to capitalise on a chance. There was one other Robert Balakun line break with practically almost exactly the same move that got them Stuart Murray's try, uh, his mm-hmm. first try, that they didn't manage to get over the line. They were held up about a, a yard short of the line. But apart from that, you can't really think of an Ulster moment where they were in a position where they could have scored and they didn't, they really made the most of their opportunities. And I think that was really, that was something that I don't think we've seen from Ulster for a while, a game where you're looking at every time they were in a position to score, they did. And that's something that you see the best teams do regularly, which is they just manage to keep that scoreboard ticking over. Or they, they don't let teams away with chances that could have ended up in, in points going over. So for me, that was impressive. But equally, Munster just could not do anything with the ball at all. You had so many missed passes. You had so many knock-ons. Like, it it was a game where it, it looked like a training session at the start of the season where you're just, you're not quite clicking. And it came in their biggest game of the season so far in the URC. And that that is the frustration. I, I would have liked to have seen them be a bit better and sort of make it a bit more of a challenge for Ulster. But as we say, like that game was won probably in the 45th minute, if not slightly earlier. And I think Ulster, you know, the, the fact that Ulster were able to bring off Cooney, they were able to bring off Vermeulen, knowing that the game was won late in those late in those games, like that to me is all you really need to need to say. And and the fact of the matter is if it wasn't for a bit of Keith Earl's brilliance. I think Munster probably would have had a few less scores on the board as well. So Ulster, I think, will be coming away absolutely delighted. I was actually surprised Vermeulen didn't come off earlier. Whenever he went off, I was like, sort of put the thought in my head that, you know, they probably could have taken him off 10 minutes earlier, at least. 
Yeah, no, not a bad shout. But then I suppose, you, <laughs> given the way Ulster have finished games recently, you maybe don't want to have that risk and you've already taken Vermeulen off. Yeah, but sorry, I was sitting there whenever the Timoney try was scored and I sort of wrote in my match, you know, I w- was writing my match put as I was going and talking about how Ulster were trying to kill the game off before halftime, but they only had to wait three minutes into the second half to kill it off with Timoney's try. And then I was sort of thinking to myself, well... They have shown a propensity to be able to blow leads very, very recently. So, or not blow leads, I suppose, because, you know, they still ended up winning the games, but uh, to allow teams to come back in the game, shall we say? I think it's hard to pinpoint one performance and say that was better than all the others because that backline performance was exemplary. But we got a rare 10 rating out of Michael Sadler. And anybody who reads Michael's ratings know that he can be a little bit stingy with. Uh, the numbers that he gives out, but we got a 10 rating for James Hume, which I, I had to declare to the rest of the media room on Saturday night or on Friday night. So I was so shocked. Johnny, you, you wrote in your column this week that Hume deserves his shot for Ireland. Can you explain to us a little bit more about what you've seen from James Hume that you think he he deserves to get a few starts against the All Blacks? So the, there's two things here for me, right? international teams are never truly picked solely on form because that would be carnage, right? You'd never have the same team week to week. Exactly, exactly. But I think you can make the argument that James Hume has been one of the two form centres in Ireland essentially since really September of 2020. So that's a large sample size that I think you can make the argument that essentially he has been in... I suppose what you're saying is better form than Gary Ringos and Bondiaki over the course of that time, if you like, right? And the second thing for me is probably the most important thing because if you judge him over that period, I don't know if I remember seeing a player for Ulster develop so many strings to their bow in such a such a calculated way. So to me... It looks like James Hume, um, you know, he's he's always very, uh, he, he reveals something of himself and of his process in press conferences. He's very happy to do that. He's very open with that. And, you know, he talks about his goal setting. And to me, it just looks like he sets himself a goal in terms of areas of development and just goes out and does it. Like, you know, he talked to us about his footwork um, in the summer and now his footwork is a real strong aspect of his game prior to contact and that's what's helping him get to the outside shoulder so many times we've seen that countless times this season where he creates space where there is no space he's talked about his wanting to improve his defense and basically badgering Jared Payne throughout the week with question after question after question because he wants to get better at his defense and now you have Dan McFarland saying he's a world-class defender at 13 and then the main thing for me, I suppose, as much as his defense was great on Friday, the main thing for me was his passing because his passing is something that we know that he has been working on, but we haven't seen it in games to that degree where he's basically just splitting a team apart by throwing that mispass, throwing it off the left hand because you mentioned that Rob Balakun break prior to the Stuart Murray second try. That was the same pass from James Shum where he created the space by skipping out I think it might have been Moore, it might have actually been Moore the first time and Balakin the second time to that right touchline. And you could see the sort of the devastating effect that had on opening teams up. But it's just like his 
attitude and his apt aptitude towards and for getting better to me like I, I don't think I remember seeing a player improve for Ulster in a very long time in so many different areas to become so well-rounded because it's not like he does one thing well he came into the team doing one thing well and now he does so many things well so his potential to continue to grow at the age of 23 like you have to be thinking about how good this guy's going to be in 13 months time at France in France and I think you know you can make the argument that he should be there now but I'd say there'd be very few people who would confidently make the argument that he's not definitely going to be there by France and if that's the case then get him those 10 starts alongside Robbie Henshaw before we get there Do Ulster have the best centre pairing in Europe? Very leading question I, I understand but we've seen how well McCluskey and Hume combine where do they rank compared to some of the other top centre pairings in Europe? Well, it's interesting because so I think so many of the big teams that we see in Europe are probably, I suppose, more fearsome in the pack, would possibly be fair to say. I do think you would naturally get people comparing Ringrose and Henshaw to McCluskey and Hume. I think it's very close between those two. Lilo and Halaholo is probably a good centre pairing as well for Cardiff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's true. That's one that always sort of gives, um, certainly gives Ulster an awful lot of uh, a lot of problems. They haven't really played an awful lot together, but I mean, Jonathan Dante and Leviani Botti has got to be the most, certainly the most physical centre pairing. This is where I, this is where I, I've asked a question, and I the only example I could come up with was Henshaw and Ringrose and I probably should have had some examples to give you in order to let you compare and contrast um, yeah I mean I suppose Vakatawa and Fiki would be another one uh, they're very much in the conversation I think absolutely Like I, I think Hume has been definitely the best 13 in the league this season and McCluskey can't be far behind in terms of 12 and when you look at what they did in Europe as well, I know obviously there were games that McCluskey missed in Europe, but you wouldn't be swapping them for too many, I'll put it that way. Well, it was largely down to the back performance that Ulster are into the URC semi-finals against the Stormers this weekend. And Johnny and I will discuss it in a moment after we discuss it with another player who is well aware of both teams. And I think I'll let my introduction whenever we spoke to him earlier say all that needs to be said. He doesn't need an introduction, but I'm going to give him one anyway. 10 years with Ulster, 16 caps for the Stormers and two for Ireland. He is a legend at Ravenhill, the first non-Ulster-born player to reach 200 caps for the province. And he is the latest guest on the Ulster Rugby Roundup. It is my great pleasure to welcome to the show, Robbie Dyack. Robbie, how are you, mate? Good, Adam. Thanks so much for having me on the show. It's great to be here and uh, yeah, good to, good to be back in Belfast. Yeah, as we, we were talking a little bit before we hit the record button, what you are doing in Belfast. So before we look back at your career, I think it's only fair that we give people an update on where you are now. What, what are you doing with yourself? Yeah, Adam, it's, um, geez, it's been a bit of a whirlwind the last couple of months. I So what is it, July, June, July last year, my, my wife and my and, and I, we decided, we decided to move back to, to Belfast, Northern Ireland. Uh, we spent almost three and a half, four years in, in South Africa after my career finished in 2018. Um, you know, various reasons why we, why we decided to come back. Um, lots, of, lots of difficult decisions were made. 
remain on that uh, point. But um, yeah, we, we, we pulled the trigger, we, we came back and I was fortunate enough to get a job with a company called Axial 3D, um, which is a cloud-based medical imaging company uh, based in Belfast. And uh, I run their, their sales and business development for, for EMEA. So it's an amazing opportunity. It's an amazing company. Um, briefly, what we do is we, we convert 2D imaging, CAT scans, MRIs into 3D visualization files and to 3D anatomically printed models. Um, and these, this is to assist surgeons and, and hospitals um, and patients globally, as well as medical device companies. Um, so if you think, uh, if you asked me four years ago, would I, would I have ever thought that I would have been in a, in a job and a situation like this, the answer would clearly have been no, but the experience and, uh, and just the knowledge that I've gained over the last couple of months has, has been phenomenal and you know, something that I'm truly enjoying. What was the sort of motivation for coming back to Belfast? Because I think the last we heard you were working in sort of real estate back home in, uh, back home in South Africa. I'm sure that wasn't easy during lockdown and stuff when obviously all that sort of business halted. Yeah, Jonathan, no, exactly right. So I was, I was, I got involved in, in property development when I moved back to South Africa. Um, I formed a little company with my brother-in-law. We, we did some developments and that was, yeah, also a great, a great experience for me just to go and tap into, into a different, completely different field. Um, to be honest with you, it was something, it, it was more of something, more of a project realizing what I don't want to do. Um, mm. The property, the development side was, I did enjoy it, but would I want to pursue it? Potentially, no, probably no, is, is the answer. From that, I then decided I'd get involved in, in the selling of commercial and residential um, property, which is a lot less risky. Um, you know, the, the financial rewards are that much, probably even better than from the development point of view. Um, and you know your your time is pretty much your own. The harder you work, the, the more the more revenue you bring in. So you know I I enjoyed that. Um, and then you know South Africa is is an amazing country. It really it really is. But uh, looking at it at the moment with regards to what's happening politically, um, the instability of the country with regards to the the crime, the unemployment, um, just what's happening at. at at the moment is, is quite hard for me to see and, and to bring my family back into an environment like that um, after living in Belfast for 10 years, which we thought was, it was an amazing, an amazing country. And, um, and just the people over here were, were incredible. And we, and we set ourselves up, we, you know, we got a lovely home um, the schooling. It's fantastic. We thought, you know, let's use South Africa as a holiday destination um, and we'll come back into Belfast and we'll see what the opportunities there are here for ourselves. Um, and potentially for our, for our kids down the line. Because, mm. yeah, I mean, obviously your son was born here as well, so he's probably, um, I suppose, more, more than Irish than South African would be one way to put it. <laughs> no, exactly, he is. So he was born in the Ulster Hospital um, in 2015, and, and we had another little boy in South Africa who was born there. So, you know, it was it was a massive thing for us coming back, and and our, older, our oldest boy, Fletcher, was, you know, he was brought up and, you know, he, he lived his first three years of his life over here. We went back to South Africa and he was then, you know, he was ingrained into the South African system over there where a lot of, a lot of players outdoors. We had family and friends close by. Um, you know, there was the beach. There was a lot of swimming. There was a lot of brawling outside. It was an amazing lifestyle for him. So for us to bring him back into a more inside lifestyle, more, um, was just was was quite a concern for us. Just thinking how would how would he react? And and he had a fantastic school over there. Um, 
and now the fact that we brought them back and we've been able to expose them to just the different things that we probably wouldn't be able to expose the kids to in, in South Africa has been amazing for us. And one of the things is, is you know, I, we actually took them to go watch a, a Peppa Pig show on, <laughs> on Sunday, which is just something that just wouldn't happen in South Africa. And, and we asked him, how would you, how would you rate the show? And he goes, no, it's probably an eight out of 10. So I said, well, <laughs> What do you what what is, what do you rate as a ten out of ten experience? And he says, no, going to an Ulster rugby game. So <laughs> everything everything we do now is going to be rated against going to going to Kingspan to watch a team play. So good, good, to, but, good to see that still the the pinnacle for uh, the guys coming over. <laughs> no, ex- exactly. So he's um you know he's he's completely obsessed with with the team, and I, I actually went and, and had a and did a bit of a, a talk with the Ulster rugby guys last week, Monday, just in the progression from, from rugby into, into the real world and the working world. And, um, and which is, a, which is an amazing experience to go back into the stadium and to chat to the guys. I've always been on the other side, listening to, listening to past players. And, and for me to, to be chatting of, of my own experience was, was pretty powerful. Um, and, and whilst I was there, I was fortunate enough to get a little video of Ethan McElroy, who's now Fletcher's uh, idol and, and hero. So, um, no, but a fantastic experience. And obviously, you know, we're watching very, very closely this weekend and, and uh, delighted with their results against Munster as well. Just, just while you're talking about, you know, life in Belfast, I'll, I'll bring in one of our listener questions, uh, which comes from Henderson. Uh, why is it that overseas players and their families, particularly South Africans, settle into life so well in Belfast? I mean, we've seen yourself coming over and settling so well, and now coming back. Ryan settled so well, Johan. Um, we've all heard the stories of these guys and how much they've loved it here. What, what is it about Northern Ireland that you guys just seem to fall in love with? I think it's, it's the fact that it's a, it's a, small, com- it's a small community. Um, you know, Belfast is very similar to... To South Africa, that the, the you know fam, the families are close, the, the supporters are close. There, there's an unreal supporter base for, for the club over here, and I think once once the supporters actually see that a player has bought into the system, the players bought into the culture, um, that we you know we're not trying to to come over here and change anything. We we are literally buying into what is an incredible place, an incredible opportunity, and a club that is that is steeped in history and tradition as well. Um, and I think once you buy into that, you get the you get the the buy-in yourself from from the players, the parents, uh, local players, as well as the the support, the supporters. Um, and that for us was very special. Um, and then over time, just that that the you know our our enthusiasm and our loyalty to the club just became greater and greater. And and for me, it was always you know I'll come to Ulster, I'll be there for three years. Um, I'll see what happens and take it from there, you know. But then after the first three years, you think, you know what, I can't leave now. We haven't won anything. Um, and, you know, we were at, you know, I think we finished maybe in the bottom third of, of the competition in my first year. And every year there was just this progressive climb up the, up the, up the ladder. And we, we got better and better. There was, you know, there was better recruitment. The facilities got better and better. The stadium got better. Um, you know, we could, we could host more, more people at the stadium. Um, and there was just an, an amazing feel about the club at the time. Um, and it was one that I, I don't think, you know, nobody wanted to leave. Um, and I think I'd, I had a couple of friends who had left um, thinking the grass was potentially greener on the other side. Um, and, it, and it wasn't, you know. So we really were looked after. And, and I suppose the biggest thing was that at a lot of clubs in a lot of provinces around the world, when they sign a high marquee or a high profile player, 
they will try and get the bang for back with, with that player and they will play him until, until that player breaks down. And within also there was a, there was a feeling of let's get a player in of, of a high caliber, but let's protect him so we can get him at the, so we can, he can perform throughout the season. Um, and that was, a, that was a massive factor as well to, in the retention of, of high caliber players. How big a decision was it to come over in the first place? Because like Adam mentioned, you know, guys like Johan, Ruyan, uh, Pedri, like you would have been before them, I suppose potentially maybe BJ probably would have been the, the only other South African here at the time. Like, and obviously you were, you were very young when you were leaving the Stormers, 22, 23. Like how big a decision was it to uh, sort of make that jump to come over in the first place? No, it was a massive decision. And I think I'd spoken to the likes of Jono Cunningham and, and Robbie Kempson before I had actually made the, the initial move to come over here. Obviously, my agent had given me a brief of, of Ulster. And um, um, I, I knew very little about Belfast, about Ulster, about even, you know, with, with regards to the Pro 14 or Pro 12 at the time. I can't remember exactly what it was called. Um, well, actually, you, you, Mag- might, you might have been is, just is, right no, Magnus, I, I think it's called Mag- Magnus League, you know. So, sorry, <laughs> I, I even forgot about that. So that was, you know, I, I knew very little about it. Um, and I took a bit of a gamble, but the biggest thing for me, selfishly enough, was, was you know, I was told that I wasn't going to play for the Springboks because of the competition in front of me at the time. Um, and I got an opportunity to come overseas and the contract was just, you know, it was substantially bigger than, than what I was getting paid in South Africa. Um, and obviously, with, with the limited career, you, you know, players do have to make the most of, of their time that they have uh, playing professional rugby. And, and that was one of the decisions for me. Along with that was the, was the hope and, and aspirations of, of playing for Ireland. It obviously changed from, from the Springboks to Ireland. Um, and that then became the ultimate goal for me. Yeah, you then went on to play in so many great Ulster teams, you know, you were part of the teams that went to the to the Heineken Cup final, you reached the Pro 12 final, it was the Pro 12 back then, even I'm getting mixed yeah. up with yeah. with teams like, you know, you, and, and you mentioned there the progress that the team and the organisation were making off the field as well, like, to be part of that and to feel like you're part of the community, what was that like for you? It was incredibly special. Um, you know, there was there was a core of of staff at Arsenal who who wanted nothing more than than success for the team. There was a core of players um, that wanted nothing more than than success. And to be part of of going from a you know a, a tin shed at at the Newforge grounds to a Heineken Cup final in, in a couple of years was just remarkable for for a for a small province country. Um, to, to reach that was, was, was fantastic. And to be part of that um, was just incredible. And that was a massive lure for, for, for players around it. And Ulster became, became a talking point for players overseas. And um, especially when you get the likes of, of Johan Muller, you know, um, BJ Boerter, Rowan Pinar, John Ofoa, um, you know, Jared Payne. When, when you start bringing in a host of players like that into, into, the, into Ulster Rugby, that's an immediate... You know, there's a there's a light switch going on with 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 players elsewhere. You know, thinking, geez, what are these? What is this club doing to to promote uh, and to bring in these caliber players? And then, obviously, to see the growth of, of the team and to and to start making playoffs on a on a on a on a yearly basis, even though we never won anything, to reach the, those those um, those massive games, you know, the Heineken Cups against Saracens at, at Kingspan, the the final against against um, Leinster. Um, unfortunately, we played Leinster in quite a few semi-finals and, and finals there. But 
just to just to be part of that growth and to see where the team had come from. I, I'll never, you know, never remember that my first season finishing with Matt with Matt Williams in, uh, in my first year in 2008 09. Um, and even though we, we finished in the bottom third or even further down, maybe second or third last, you know, there wasn't a feeling of desperation. There wasn't a feeling of, geez, what can we do to get better? And it was almost as, you know, the season's finished, you know, let's just focus on the next season. But that mentality changed over time. And, and you know, the ambitions grew and, you know, performances started coming in. And then eventually we had Mark Anson come through and we, I think we won 11 or 12 games on, on a row with him. And the team was just, was just going from strength to strength. And, you know, you can almost name that team that was playing on a, on a week in, week out because it was just such a strong team. The, the you know, it, it was... It's just a special time to be part of Ulster Rugby. Obviously, you go through your peaks and troughs, but that was certainly a, a hard point. How was Ulster sold to you then? Because, you know, whenever you're making the move over, were they saying to you, we are building into a, into a team that competes for championships? Was the championship winning dream sold to you from the very beginning? or Because as you say, you know, you come in the first season, you finish in the bottom third, but... By the time you're you're coming to the end of your career, you're competing consistently for championships. Like, what what was the selling point for you whenever Ulster first approached you? To be to be fair, I, I actually don't think there was a selling point to me personally. I don't think I was actually ever in touch with anyone by my agent with regards to the move coming over to Ulster. Um, you know, it was it was quite a you know, thinking back, I was very brave to make the decision with with knowing very little of where I was going and the, and the club that I was going to take parts uh, be be part of for a, for a three year contract. And I'll never forget, I, I moved over and and I was picked up from the airport. So I was taken to New Forge, and and Chris Henry drove me home, and I spent the first week with Chris Henry in a tiny room in his apartment on on Ravenel Road. Um, and that for me was, you know, I remember that day as if it was yesterday. Thinking, geez, what what have I done? And you know, what are the aspirations of this club? Um, you look at, at anywhere else, you look at the premiership, you look at France and you think, well, how did I end up in Belfast? Um, and and to, to do that and then to see to see the, the progress that was made, I, I never spoke to any coach, I never spoke to any, any manager, David Humphreys or, or anyone at the time. I think it was actually Michael Reed. Um, I had no communication with them. Um, it was purely, Robbie, this is a three-year contract. This is what you're going to get paid. Um, they're looking for an eighth man. Are you keen? And then, and then I suppose the other the other big factor for me was is that is that BJ Boerta had signed at the same time as me, and BJ at the time was a, was a World Cup winning prop, um, titled prop, probably one of the, one of the, one of the better at the at the moment, if not one of the, one of the world's leading titled props, um, and he had signed. So I thought to myself, well, geez, if, if he can sign um, and he can see the potential in, in Australia, and, and he's been sold in this club, then there's then there's something happening there, and there's something bubbling away. Um, and I did it. I did the research, and I, and I saw the players that were involved there with the likes of Rory Best, with the likes of you know Andrew Trimble. I know they're going to be a whole heap that I'm missing out now. Um, but you know those are the guys there, high-profile players. Um, and 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 to see them there, and, and to be part of them, and to see their experience with with Irish rugby was 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 a was a draw card as well. I was uh, how was Chris Henry as a roommate? No, he wasn't great to be fair. Um, <laughs> he. But you know, to be fair, I it was uh, I think it was fantastic to to take me on for those for those first couple of nights. Obviously, I was when I was young, I was coming to a new area, and for him to to allow me to stay with him was was, was great. Um, 
you know, I think he the first I think he was just looking forward to the first Friday night with the two guys and have a few beers together and get to know each other a bit better. Um, and still to this day, you know, we we still very very good friends and, and our wives are friends. So, um, and he's a fantastic guy. He probably heard South Africa and thought he's bringing the braai with him. No, exactly. You know, and, and and Chris is never afraid of a meal as well. So he was, um, you know, it was it was it was a good uh, a good meeting. Uh, we'll go to some more listener questions here. Stephen McCormick asks, "What is your fondest memory on and off the field with Ulster?" Um, I'll, I'll say on on the field. You know, I, I think it's difficult to to break it down into one memory. I think over. I was involved in our, in our first away win in France. Um, I can't remember the exact year. I think it was, it was to, to cost um, 2015, 2014, 2015. Um, you know, the reason why I remember it so clearly is that it was just such a big game. Um, you know, we named our team. I was in the flank um, and Johan Muller was starting at lock. And all of a sudden, I think Johan pulled out on the Thursday and they, they pulled me into lock and said that I was calling the lineouts. You know, so... Um, it was just it was it was a it was a massive game for for the club, but then a massive game for me personally as well. Um, we won that, and then I think also the, the home and away game against Toulouse. Um, you know, Toulouse being one of the one of the giants in in, in European rugby, and to to go to Toulouse and, and beat them away from home, and then to also give them a to 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 beat them at uh, Kingspan the week the week after was was a really special moment for me. Um, and then just, you know, special moments off the field in my 10 years, obviously, you know, at also I say that, you know, the, the, the birth of your, of your son in, in Belfast is, is, a, is a special moment as well. Um, but, you know, I, we had so many, so many fantastic memories. Um, another one that just rings to my mind off, off the field was, I mean, on the field was the semi-final that I played in against Edinburgh in the Heineken Cup in, in Dublin. Um, you know, I, I actually played that game um, with chickenpox, I was diagnosed with chickenpox um, on the on the Saturday. We we played Leinster on the on the Friday week before uh, at Kingspan. On the Saturday, I was diagnosed with chickenpox, um, and then on the Wednesday or Thursday, I was cleared. All my all my scabs had sort of my my marks or my pox things what had scabbed over, and I wasn't contagious anymore. So I was lucky enough to scrape on the bench there. But that for me was was an amazing experience, and just to to reach the final there, I wasn't involved in the final, but to be part of that game, play fifteen or twenty minutes, um, where I know Pierre Vandenberg actually scored a try that game at, at eighth man, um, so that was a really special moment as well. That's the kind of thing that I think you have to you know medically say before you go in, you know, send it around the the opposition. You know, by the way, our flanker has chicken pox. You might just want yeah, to yeah. for the for the eighty minutes. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. So uh, to be fair, the, like the, the medical staff were, were great to me and, and I remember the doctor and I, and I was desperate to play um, and, I, and I did everything I could possibly do to try and speed the process up of these things scabbing over. And, and I still think when I, look, when I look back at some of the photos from that game, I can still see some, some like scabs on my face and on my legs and it was a, it was a pretty, pretty horrendous. Getting chicken pox as an adult is not for the common house ants. It's something that's pretty, it's pretty terrible. I do find it interesting that you mentioned that cast game. Like it wasn't an overly classic game. I, th- I think it finished nine eight or something like that, or eight seven. It was a really mm. low scoring game, but just the it, it's interesting that that's the one that sticks in your mind just for how momentous it was. Because you always thought, when was that first win in France going to come? And supposed to be part of it was a massive thing mm. for you guys. Exactly, we had spoken about it, uh, you know, numerous times, and. Um... 
it was it was a massive 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 game and and you know Rory as the leader as he was was just instrumental between him and Johan they were instrumental in in, in taking us to that to that point where you know we could win in France on 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 sort of a, on a weekly basis um and and to go there and the hype before the game it almost felt as if we we knew we were going to do it i think that pre-season we had beaten bayonne in france in a pre-season game um so it was you know and to get that monkey off off our back was was fantastic and then to go to montpellier beat them away from home go to toulouse beat them away from home and then to think that even last year or this year that that also can go to clermont and, and beat them in their own backyard is you know if you, if you had asked me a couple of years ago if if Ulster would have ever gone to clermont and beat them in their own backyard i, I probably would have no, thought thought not. Before I ask you something about the the current team, there's one other game away in France that I want to ask you about, and that's the Oyana game. I think it was from about 2015, 16, so sometime around then. But I remember the, the big comeback, and everyone said afterwards that Rory stood up and said something really inspirational at halftime, but no one was willing to to break the confidence and say what it was. Mm. Are you willing to potentially give us an insight into what was maybe said in that game? Um, you know, I, I remember that game clearly um, because I, I, I started that game um, it was against Piotr Vandenberg was, was playing against us and he was, a, he was a good friend of mine and obviously a lot of the players were in the team. Um, and I think this was a game that had, that had been postponed due to the Paris attacks as well. So... Um, to be honest, if you asked me what Rory Best said at halftime, I wouldn't, I wouldn't know exactly. Um, but what I what I do know is that Rory was never was never personal at, at halftime. He was never personal about about anyone's performance or, or or the way in which somebody played or mistakes. You know, Rory, like anybody else, has has you know he has cracking games and he sometimes has poor games as well. Um, and I know, for example, there was there was an opportunity in that game where I, I missed a one on one tackle and a player broke through made about 20, 30 meters and they scored in the corner due to my missed tackle. Um, and I think we went in at halftime and, and for some reason, I, I don't know what it was, but he, he said he never ever, we got to a point within Australia where we never felt that we were out of a game. We never felt that something was too far out of reach for us to come back. And he said, he said, if, if, if Ionis can, can score 23 points against us in 40 minutes, are you telling me that if we turn it on, we can't score more than 24 points against them type of thing? You know, and, and for us, there was a massive belief within the team. And I can't remember exactly exactly what he said. And and I and everyone had a had a bit of a look at themselves in that, in that 40 minutes. We thought, geez, what can I do to 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 improve, to to get better? Um, and my I remember I remember clearly there was a, a guy on their team, they they used to call him the GOAT, and he was from Harlequins, he had a big uh, I can't remember his name, had a big beard, he was bald, and he was at the front of the lineout. And I think in that second half, I scored five or six, I, I stole about five or six balls from him in the front of the lineout. Um, and we ended up winning that game, not due to not due to me stealing those lineup balls, but obviously it, it helped. Um, and we went and we won the game. And you know, there was there was obviously a big it wasn't wasn't really excitement, but it was more it was more a sigh of relief. Of you know this is what we can do and, and how could we have almost you know stuffed it up so badly, and I went into the change room after the game and, and I actually put my hand up and I apologized to the team for my first half performance, and and Rory sort of you know he he said something to me that there was you know he said fair enough you did miss you did you did miss that tackle and you did do this do that, 
But you know what? You you turned it around in the second half and, and you gave us, you, you stole the ball away from them, which gave us an opportunity and a platform to attack on. So, you know, it was more the reaction to the players after the, in the second half that, that was inspirational. And and also another game that I, that I won't forget. What, what do you miss most about playing? Um, I, supp- I suppose the... If you ask me if I if I miss the actual match day, I don't I don't miss the the lead up to a game. I think it was um, you know the the nerves are. I, I was always a player that that got nervous. Um, I was always you know no matter who you're playing, whether you're playing, um, you know a, a team that you should that you should beat at home, or whether you're playing a, a team away in France, you know a massive game like Toulouse. I was always nervous, um, and those nerves I'll always re- remember and and. I'll be thankful that I never have to go through that again. But um, I miss the I miss the feeling of of a, of a big win, you know, and being with the guys, being in the change room, you know, discussing moments in the game. Um, you know, the feeling of walking back into into the Kingspan Stadium on a Monday morning, knowing you've had a great game, knowing you've had a big win, knowing that the chances of me being selected for the following week's game are, are pretty high. Um, you know, that is what I miss. Um, you know. I'm sure the next question might be, well, what do you don't miss? And, and you know, you you don't miss the 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 injuries, you know, the selection issues, the the those awkward chats with the coaches. Um, you know, that's that's what I don't miss. But I think I think there's there's a lot there's a lot that I do miss. And and I think for me to to finish on the note that I finished with with Arabia just just means that I'm I'm still so. Um, I'm a massive fan and I'm a massive supporter of the team, um, and that for me is a special thing. And and you know I want to be in, I want to be invested with them. I want to I want to follow them. And, and obviously now that my little boy is 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 obsessed, and you know you know I've got to try and keep him out of that 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 Ulster rugby shop and getting all the latest kits and, and everything is that for me is fantastic. Like a lot of the questions that we've had about uh, just from the listeners have been who you would have liked to play with in this team. Obviously, we know you're. Your son's a big Ethan McElroy fan, but who's impressing you? Um, geez, I think it's, it's such a well-rounded team at the moment. Um, I know that's a very vague answer, but I think obviously, I think you know James Hume for me is 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 having an incredible couple of seasons. I think mm-hmm. we 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 must have one of the best centre centre pairings in in European rugby at the moment. Um, size, skill level, brutality from a defensive point of view as well. Um, I think their back three, specifically against Munster, were, were incredible. Um, you know, it's um, and then I think with, with with the way the forwards are playing at the moment, you know, set piece to have to have the best mall in in the competition at the moment is is incredible, um, especially for a team that that really doesn't have the biggest pack. Um, it just shows you how well drilled and, and how well um, coached the team are. And I know a player like Dwayne Mullen has, has come in and and not really. Not made them train harder, but made them train smarter within their modeling as well. You know, he's obviously taken a lot of experience from from the likes of Chilon and the likes of the Blue Bulls and Stormers, and, and ultimately the Springboks, and how you maul. And if, and if you can, and modeling is all about fine tuning and all being in the same on the same page. Um, and I think that's what he's brought to the team. So I think if you ask me who who's exciting, I think you know Ian Henderson's is always a fantastic player. I think Rob Herring's. Having having a great season as well, and, and I'm hoping to see him start uh, at hooker in, in this New Zealand uh, tour for for Ireland. Um, but probably the most exciting, I think, is Mike Lowry. To be honest with you, um, especially for somebody of his size, um, 
it's just his his passion and enthusiasm for the game and his ability to run full speed into into a brick wall at times is, is mesmerizing. Um, so unfortunately, to see him break his jaw is is something that you would have expected a couple of weeks earlier or months earlier. But you know, I think he's got a very very bright future ahead of him, um, and so do a lot of those players. If you could take one of these players, and I'm assuming after what you've just said, there probably is Larry, but you know, if you could take one of these players and put them back into one of the teams that you played in with Ulster, who would it be? Gee, that's a that's a great question. Um, I think James Hume. I think uh, you know. I think uh, he just you know. I think th- then again, I'm I'm saying this, and uh, Darren Cave was was 13 <laughs> for for Ulster for 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 many years, um, and for the fantastic servant to the game. I just think James is James is having an incredible season, and I think the way that he plays with with Stu McCluskey at, at inside centre, um, I think to have to have those two together is is an incredible pairing. So I think I'd say James Hume. Uh, Donald O'Reilly asks a question that I, I think you'll enjoy. If you had to pass on your famous "You are gorgeous" chant to someone in today's <laughs> squad, who would it be? First yeah. of all, do you want to explain what this is for someone who maybe doesn't quite know? Like I, I didn't before you described it to me off off air. <laughs> yeah, so no, this is a um, every, every home game when 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 I was on the bench, we used to go warm up. I think if you come out of the tunnel and you and you turn right, so it's probably about 20, 20 meters down towards the towards the the, the dead end or the the end goal area to, to go and warm up. There was a group of three or four guys who, who always used to shout, you are gorgeous to me. Um, and no, no matter, you know, what time of the year it is or, or where we were, it was the same bunch of guys. And as soon as they hit the same mark on the field, they would, they would chant this, uh, this saying. And I, I remember it very, very clearly. Um, and I suppose there's a player in the team who does think he is the most gorgeous uh, person out there. And I would, I'll have to give that to Craig or Craig Gilroy. <laughs> <laughs> that must have been a great confidence yeah. boost for you though anytime you're walking down to warm up and you got guys I, I, you I actually I actually hated it because I knew it would come every single time and it got to a point where I used to try and like just before I got to the point where I knew they would start I would start jogging <laughs> and I'd try and like speed up the process thinking maybe they're going to miss me maybe they'll, they'll miss me this time but it seemed they remembered every time and I think that the more embarrassed they got the, the louder they shouted was it pull, pull the hat down as much as possible? Ah, it was more pull, it was more pull the hoodie over my head when I was running running past there. So, but no, great. Uh, yeah, I mean, I just couldn't believe those guys were there every single game. Any other chance you remember? Um, that was the the most standout one. I, I think um, I always used to enjoy when when a when a player got a yellow card at, at Kingspan and he got raved off by the crowd. Um, that was a good one for me, but uh, that was the one on one on each one that I remembered, you know. Unfortunately, <laughs> your time in South Africa, in, in terms of playing professionally, was quite short compared to some other teams. But what what was sort of the biggest culture difference between playing rugby in South Africa and playing rugby in Ireland? Um. Yeah, great question. I think when I left um, the Stormers in Western Province in 2008, I just, Rassi Rassin had just taken over and, and he was the coach there for, for, for about a year. Um, and he brought in, you know, he was the first player in, or coach in South Africa to bring in the laptop system, to bring in, you know, pre-match analysis. Um, there was a big emphasis on strength and conditioning. 
um, on your, you know, your gym work, your skill work, uh, your performance sort of off the field. Um, you know, the more prepared you are prior to the game, the better you'll perform on the game. And I remember him instilling a system where, you know, we had played the Hurricanes, we had played the, the Chiefs, for example, and we, were all got, we all got given laptops and we would click on the links and we would click on our, our opposite number and we'd be, um, I think it was Chris Masoe from, from the Hurricanes for me. And I knew Chris Masoe backwards and it was, you know, what, what foot does he step off? What, what arm does he carry the ball with? Um, does he, when does he get tired? Does he like a 40-minute player? Is he a 50-minute player? Does he play the full game? Um, you know, which way does he break off the back of the scrum? Does he go blind? Does he go open? Um, does he carry the ball with two hands or with one hand? You know, so that was that for me was new. And then I came, then I came to Ulster, and this has obviously been in place for for quite some time before as well. And I just thought this is, you know, they potentially, you know, the, the Irish teams don't have the bulk, don't have the size. Potentially, you know, everyone thought they weren't as physical, but I always felt that they were just one step ahead with regards to to performance review, performance analysis, previewing teams knowing and understanding a team a lot better um, and also conditioning your players to get into, into the most elite um, form or elite uh, place within your, within yourself to perform at the highest quality. Um, so there was a big emphasis on that. And I think I came over here weighing about 125 kilograms and I got down to about 110, 112 within a couple of months, just because, you know, I was guided with what to eat and how to train and, and how to train and how to, get to my, my body and my mind into, into an optimal performance. Whenever you're in a game, you, you've got all that stuff running through your head, you know, Christmas always steps off this foot, he breaks off mm. the scrum at the back there. In, in a game situation, are you able to retain all that information? Like if Christmas always is running at you are, are you in that moment thinking to yourself, I think he's going to step off his right foot because I know that's what he does. I suppose it's, it's, reading, it's reading the game a little bit before and saying to yourself, you know, if, if you're sitting at the, the side of a scrum um, and you know Christmas, so he, if he breaks off, he's more than likely going to hand, hand you off with, with this particular hand. If you can see that coming, you know, you, you one step ahead, you almost know which hand to knock away so you can, so you can try and take his legs out from underneath him. It's, 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 a lot, it's giving yourself that extra split second to, to try and understand what, what his next steps are. Um, you know, more often eight out of 10 times, you, you might not get it right, but those two out of 10 times, it might be instrumental in, you know, it might, it might aid you in taking a player like Christmas Zoe down within, within half a second, then three quarters of a second, you know, and that, and that's difference could, you know, could give you three or four meters out on the, on, on the touchdown with, with regards to an extra defender. Um, so it's all of those little bits of little, little changes and, and, you know, Johan Muller always used to go on about in, in rugby is that never, ever worry about the scoreboard. Always worry about the, the small moments in the game. And those small little intricate moments in the game, um, you know, if you do those correctly, they'll always lead to, to, a, to the scoreboard will be ticking over. I've got to ask what Johan was like as a captain because we've heard so many testimonies about how every time he walked into a room and spoke, you could hear a pin drop because everybody just... Mm -hmm listen to every word what was he like for you as a captain in that dressing room um obviously you know he was he was a very good friend of mine and i and i think johan muller was was they johan and, and rory always played hand in hand um and i think that's what that's what made also rugby so successful is that we had two incredible leaders who both led by example and who knew that sometimes less talk is is better you know um, and, you know, they would often get 
different players in, in the circle to talk. And, you know, sometimes you expect the, 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 the captain to say, to say a lot, but what they would do is that they would share the responsibility amongst other players. And, you know, if they had nothing to say, they would say nothing. But the biggest thing about them is that they led by example. And nothing, nothing meant more to them um, but you know, winning a game, winning a small collision on the field, Winning that, winning that first meter, winning that first yard in, in the collision zone, or you know when you when you taking your ball into contact, or when you when you're on the defensive line, um, and their ability to to drive a team and, and to motivate a team with with certain comments and, and certain phrases, and you know I always think they would never repeat themselves. It's never the same message, but it always came across. If it was it was super inspiring, and um, I always think for a leader, if he can say less and get more out of a player that that was truly inspirational and and that was the 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 attributes of a great leader and that's where i think rory and johannes would be difficult to to you know pose them as one leader over over another i think they worked hand in hand together obviously with uh, this weekend's game against uh against the stormers coming up there's an awful lot of talk about uh the south africans in uh, in the erc and with the bulls playing leinster as well i mean as a South African, whenever it was first announced that the the Cheetahs and the Kings were coming into the league, and I know you played against the Cheetahs in that uh, in that first game in Belfast, would you ever in, have envisaged a time when we had the Bulls and the Stormers playing playing Leinster and Ulster in semi-finals of this league? No, I, I never would have, and I, that's one thing that, that that I do miss is is the ability to travel back and forth to South Africa to play these games. And and I was even with Rob Herring on Sunday. Um, when was it? No, actually on Saturday night. I mean, we were watching the the Leinster, I mean, the Stormers Edinburgh game and thinking to himself, well, if you if Stormers win this, you know, you're on your way to Cape Town in, in a day or two. You know, so I think that's a, that's an amazing experience for him. And I never thought. Uh, when it was first introduced for the Cheetahs and the Kings that we'd get to this point. And, and I'm just so glad to see where it is now that's, that, that we've got some quality South African teams have joined the league. Um, initially, they, they struggled a bit because they were fighting two different competitions at the same time. But to see the likes of Sia Khaleesi's and, you know, Stephen Kitsoff's and, you know, these top Springbok players playing in a, a week in, week out in this league is instrumental for the league. And it's, it's, I think this, the URC is going to go from strength to strength. Um, and I think it's at a really, really exciting stage. And I think this weekend, I'm expecting a sellout crowd again at, at, uh, in Cape Town. Um, and I think even, even this, the, the South African supporters are, are really enjoying it. You know, it's not often they get to see the top Scottish players and Welsh players and, and, and Irish players coming over to play in their home backyard. So it's, it's great for the game of rugby. It's great for exposure for the players. Um, and it's, it's fantastic to watch as well. And the South African teams going into what I'm sure now has to be rebranded as, as the European Champions Cup. It's going to have to. It's probably going to have to drop the European off the front of that. But for them to yeah. get into competition as well, you know, just that that added prestige of playing in those competitions yeah. that's going to be really exciting too. No, exactly, exactly. So it's no, it's, it's fantastic for all of them, and I know some of the players there. You know, the ability for them to travel and, and to see to see different parts of the world and. In stadiums such as Kingspan and you know Thorman Park and RDS and all around Scotland and Wales is an amazing experience. So that's um, I think I think next year will, will be will be really really exciting as well. And I think I'm hoping that it's not going to be a South African uh, uh, win this this season or a Leinster win, obviously. But I think there's there's going to be two cracking games on this weekend: Leinster Bulls and Stormers Ulsters. There's some good rugby approaching.
Yeah, I think you've answered a question that Ian Frizzell asked. What scarf will you be wearing on Saturday? No, definitely the the Ulster scarf. You know, it's it's um it's uh, uh, yeah, we we're looking forward to the game and my boy is sort of uh teed it all up. He's got his kit ready and he's got his uh you know, so um we've uh we we obviously still got a, a lot of friends within within the within the team. So we you know we're fully behind Ulster and we'll be supporting them. Have you got your boys playing anywhere? Um I do. My my oldest boy is actually turned seven yesterday. So um Happy birthday, Fletcher. He, he, yeah, thanks. So he's part of uh, CI Rugby Club. Um, so he, he had a couple of games this, this last season. At, uh, um, I think he played at Estonians. He had a festival over there. Um, and he's now, he's now into cricket season. So he's, he's, he's uh, seeing what he can do with the bat and ball over there. So no, really good to get him involved in all of these different sporting, sporting uh, scenes and environments. All I'll say is he's already Irish qualified, so he's already halfway <laughs> on his way to being part of the Ulster yeah. system. <laughs> yeah, I think happy. That's, that's, his, that's his dream one day. So. It would be remiss of us not to ask you how you think the game is going to go on Saturday. We, we obviously know that Ulster have already played the Stormers this year, very controversial end to the game, but a really tight game, which I think is, is the most important thing. And uh, Are you expecting something similar this Saturday? Yeah, I am. I think it's, it's it is really going to be a, a tough game. Um, you know, you've got two two really strong packs, um, great set pieces. Um, I think where where we could show a bit of, of dominance is, is is within within our mall. Um, I think our, our mall is, is is a huge weapon at the moment, um, and also our back three, um, especially and our and our senses. I think you know we we really well structured. If we can if we can turn them. Turn them over, let them play in their own half, kick the ball deep. You know, we, we've got a strong defensive line. Um, and I think if we can have it's going to be tight, but I think we'd, we'd take about five or seven points. Well, while you're here, I may as well ask you who you think the, the two finalists are going to be. Do you think that the Bulls can upset Leinster in Dublin? Um, as, as fantastic as I think the, the Bulls are playing at the moment, I find it hard to, to see that being the, the Leinster in Dublin. Um, especially after the game I saw um, Leinster play Glasgow this last weekend. Um, it was, you know, I would never ever thought to see a score like, like that in a quarterfinal, especially when Glasgow was 7-0 up just after a couple of minutes. So to see that was was pretty remarkable. Um, but I'm sure Jake White's got something up his sleeve and, and Marcel Kutsia will know what it's like to play in, in, in Dublin. So I, I expect it'll be a tough game, but um, I don't see them winning. It'd be just like the year after Marcel Casilla leaves Ulster that he would end up facing them in a final, wouldn't it? You know? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so I think that'll be that'll be brilliant. So I hope I hope it's a, it's the Ulster uh, Bulls final, but uh, we'll see how it all pans out. Robbie, it's been absolutely fantastic having you in the podcast. It's been so good to catch up with you, see what you're up to, and uh, to reflect on what was an amazing career at Ulster. We didn't even ask you about the fact that you reached 200 caps. I mean, the fact that you know, you come over to Ulster as, as a 22-year-old from South Africa and you end up spending 10 years and making 200 caps. Like, that's something that that must make you so proud. It does. It's, it's a really is fantastic for me. And, and um, yeah, something that I'll always be, you know, I'll always cherish for it, forever. Um, and even, I think, yeah, just to, just to go back to Kingspan and know that I was involved there, I had many fantastic memories. It, it, it is really, really special for me and, and uh, you know, it, it, will, it will keep me going back there for, for many years to come. 
Well, hopefully we'll see on the terraces. Well, it'll have to be next season now, and unfortunately yeah. Ulster uh, can't even host the final, so it'll have to be next season. But uh, it's great to see you doing so well, mate, and thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, Adam, Jonathan, thanks so much for your time, and I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much to Robbie for coming on the podcast. Absolutely fantastic to, to hear about his life post-rugby and also letting him discuss things that happened during his career as well. We, we talked a little bit there about the Stormers game with Robbie, but Jonathan, where do you think this game is going to be won and lost? I mean, I don't want to sound too obvious, but I think the conditions and the travel, like there's a reason that the Stormers... As, or there's a reason the teams have find it so difficult to go to the Stormers this year and you know Ulster are going to arrive on Wednesday play a game sa- Saturday we're here and it's going to be a full stadium and I think today it was mid-20s high-20s in terms of the temperature so it's going to be a very difficult atmosphere to play in environment to play in and they're going to have to overcome like we were sort of saying earlier, a 12 hour, you know, 12 hours of travel to get there. They said probably takes about a day and a half for that to leave your system. So, and that's just for normal people rather than people that are um, expected to be in a high performance environment come the weekend. So, look, it is very, very difficult before you even consider the threats of the stormers on the field, I think. You did mention that it's going to be a sellout or that they're hoping it's going to be a sellout. I find it really interesting and I know it's different financial climates between the UK, Northern Ireland, Ireland and South Africa. But the Stormers were selling tickets for Saturday's game at 50 Rand, which is the equivalent of £2.59. Like, could you imagine if you were able to buy a ticket for £2.59 for a game at Ravenhill like that? you'd have those snapped up in seconds. Yeah, I mean, the, the the big thing to point out there, you know, all as Robbie actually alluded to when he was talking about the difference between a contract offer and uh, South Africa and a contract offer and ulcers, the exchange rate isn't a true reflection, I suppose. Yeah. The Rand is in such bad shape. What seems like a small amount of money over here isn't a small amount of money in South Africa or in parts of South Africa, anyway, certainly. But I understand what you're saying because obviously people are viewing it in the context of Ulster not selling out a quarterfinal between two full-strength interpro rivals. I mean, there's reasons for that as well. Price and structure, certainly chief among them. I think you can point out the two-week lead-in as well to sell the tickets, I suppose, where they've been a knockout. But yeah, it is obviously, as you say, it's going to be quite striking to see uh, a full stadium in Cape Town of that size when we... Uh, had what was probably two-thirds full stadium on Friday. Yeah, to get it back to the game this weekend, I think it'll be very interesting to see how Ulster try to back up that performance last week because we, we've seen in the past how tough it is to run together big performances back-to-back. Like Even we've seen from Ulster this season, you know, coming off the disappointment of the Toulouse game, and I know they lost that game compared to winning the Munster game going in this week, but their ability to try and raise themselves again to go for a third week in a row, they just couldn't manage. And this is what they have to do in order to win this tournament. They have to win three games in a row. And even look back to the World Cup where New Zealand beat Ireland, but couldn't back that up against England, who put in a big performance to beat them. But then England couldn't back up that big performance and were beaten by the Springboks in the final. There's so many examples of teams not being able to back up big performances. 
so how Ulster managed to go through the next three weeks, or so, sorry, we're, we're in week two of, of the three weeks, but how they managed to translate what they did last week into this week, I think is going to be vital because you can talk about, oh, we need to do this on the pitch, we need to do that on the pitch. If you're not in the right headspace off the pitch, and that relates into what you were saying about travel and getting yourself right that way, then it, it could all be for nothing if you aren't mentally prepared to do it all again on the pitch. Yeah, because uh, you're on, I'm sorry, right? you have to get the right balance between, I suppose, enjoying Friday night, savouring Friday night, what was probably your best result in a big game or your best performance in a knockout game for quite some time, I would say, to switching that to let's win a semi-final. You referenced that England game there, and I've said before on the on the podcast, like that England against New Zealand performance is one of the most, if not the most impressive performance I've ever seen in the flesh. And then it was a completely different scenario a week later. And you can even look at this Ulster season and say, you know, the biggest statement win, if you like, I mean, you can make the argument that it was Claremont, you make the argument that it was the first leg of the Toulouse game. But obviously with the Leinster away win, then they had the Ospreys away win, sorry, Ospreys away defeat the week after. And it is just that idea of going week to week to week. There's an element of squad depth to it. Like obviously we're talking about Leinster, but Leinster could, you know, Leinster can go week to week, but still bring in Sexton, Lowe and Keenan who didn't start the game before. Ulster are probably going to have to go, not have to go with Ulster, will probably go with the same starting 15. I think we both, I mean, we both wouldn't see any changes to that, I don't think. The reality of it and the harsh reality of it is that regardless of how difficult it is, that's what you have to do if you want to win silverware. There's no point talking about wanting to be a silverware winning team or uh, consistently competing for championships as the uh, as the players trot out as their three Cs. If you can't go back to back to back, because that's what you have to do to win this competition. And that's what you're always going to have to do to win this competition. I know Europe changes a wee bit year to year in terms of having to back up your performances week to week to week, but like in the league, you have to do it. One of the biggest fears that I think people had was alleviated this afternoon whenever it was announced that it will not be a South African TMO in charge of this game. Mike Adamson of Scotland will be the referee. He will be supported by Adam Jones of Wales and Sam Grove White of South Africa, sorry, of Scotland. Uh, And Ben Whitehouse will be the TMO, Ben Whitehouse of Wales. Uh, How much do you think that game earlier in the season will weigh on Ulster's minds. Obviously, look, they've been told essentially after the game by Tapa Henning that they won that game. The try should have stood and realistically it was that late in the game that it was probably going to be a game winner. So so you're coming away from that essentially having been told you won that game. How much will they dwell on that? I think I think this is interesting because an awful lot of people have talked about this this week, right, in terms of oh, it's some kind of revenge mission, Ulster are going to be over there raging, you know? I don't think that's really the case. I think the way that I would look at it would be more, I'd be saying, well, we went over with a team that wasn't our strongest team, played against near enough their strongest team, and the fact of the matter was that we feel like we beat them. That You know, that's the way that I would be looking at it rather than pitching it as some kind of 
oh, we owe them one or something like this, because it wasn't the Stormers' fault. You know, it was it was nothing. It wasn't like it was a bad-tempered game or anything like that. You know, there was no niggles here or anything like that. It was just a bad refereeing decision. So, like, I think Ulster should be going over thinking we had nowhere near our first team that day and really beat them. You know, they'll be thinking we won that game. So the idea that they can't do it again, you know, there's no there's no merit to that because they've already shown that they can do it regardless of what the results says, regardless of what the statistics say. I do think there'll be some annoyance on the part of the coaches, perhaps, that obviously if that result had have went the way that they think it should have done, the way that the referees have admitted it should have gone, then the game would have been here. And I think if the game's here, it's a completely different game. Like, um, I haven't seen the odds yet to see what the point spread is, but I would say Ulster would be probably 10-point favourites at home. I think that's a wee bit generous. Like, Stormers are still a good team, even if they're having to travel. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't think they've beaten anybody that good over here yet, personally. I mean, yes, but yeah, I take your point. They are playing good rugby and have played better rugby as the season went on. So the moment of truth then... Who's making the URC final? And we'll, we'll rope in the other semi-final between Leinster and the Bulls here as well. We'll do Leinster-Bulls first because it's on Friday night. Who, who's winning Leinster v Bulls? I think Leinster are going to win the game. But, I mean, what I really hope is that it's a close game or <laughs> a closer game. Like, we don't have time to talk about Leinster-Glasgow today. But, yeah, the league does not need anything like that to happen. Well, ever again, but certainly not again this season. That was an awful look for the league. I know we're not going to go into any details for it, but any team score, any team scoring more than 40 points is probably a bad look in the playoffs when it's supposed to be two of your best teams going up against each other. So to score 70, it's mad. Yeah, crazy. Just crazy. So we've got Leinster in the final. I'm going to agree with that. I I can't disagree that uh, Leinster are going to win that. The big one, Stormers Ulster, who's joining them on Saturday afternoon. Do you know what? I just have a sneaking feeling that Ulster might be able to get a result here. As I say, with the confidence that they've done it before, with with the exception of fullback, and now you can make the argument that they could be on their fourth choice fullback, but obviously he played very well on Friday, you have to say. But with the exception of fullback, this is probably the team that they want to be putting out there, I think. Oh, sorry, Marty Moore, obviously. But um, yeah, very close to what they would want to be putting out there, which is a rarity at this time of year, you have to say. And I think they'll just, I think they will have learned lessons in terms of travel. I think they will have learned lessons in terms of obviously not being as loose and as slow out of the blocks as they were when they played uh, the Stormers back in March. And I think they were far more impressive. I know we've talked about how bad Monster were and how that relates to the Ulster performance. But like, sort of looked to me like that was Ulster. Now you can make the argument about Europe, obviously, but it looked to me like that was an Ulster side that was coming close to peaking at the right time. And I don't know if you would say that about the way the Stormers put away Edinburgh. I'm I'm just a little bit wary of how Ulster have travelled this week. And it's not their fault. I want to say this first up. Like it's, it's because they had to wait for whichever team would be their opponent in the semi-finals. They, they couldn't just go and book flights to Cape Town in the hope that it would be the Stormers. They had to wait to find out. 
it was the stores but you know whenever you have it in your schedule months in advance that you're going to travel you can plan everything around it Ulster wouldn't have been able to put all their plans in place until Saturday evening when they knew it was the Stormers that they were going to play and I just think that the whole last minute planning and arranging it's just going to work against them and I think it's it's a lot to overcome in such a short space of time Edinburgh had that extra week where they had the European finals to prepare and Ulster have to go straight from quarterfinal, get on a flight across the world and play a game of rugby on Saturday. I just think it'll be too much. It'll be close, though. Like, even with that handicap, I think Ulster are going to make this extremely close. And I'm going to say now, I think the result will be in the balance whenever the clock turns red at the end of the game. But I think it'll be the Stormers that'll do it. Do you think there is a team this season that is a more impressive set of away wins than Leinster, Claremont, Toulouse and Northampton? I don't think for any of those wins they had to arrange travel that required at least a nine-hour flight in the space of a week. So, no, I mean, Sorry, you're, you're 100% right. But um... I, get, I get where you're coming from. Ulster have built a lot of this season off of winning big games away from home. You know, Until Friday, they haven't really had that good a result at home, apart from beating Claremont. Like, if you actually think about it, if Ulster don't win that Leinster game away from home, they're scrambling to make the playoffs. So that's how big that win was. If they don't win away to Claremont and Northampton, they might have scraped into the playoffs in the in the European Cup. But you would have had a very well, tough probably would have got a better draw. <laughs> well, true, yes. They, they breezed into the playoffs and ended up getting probably the toughest draw they could have had. But th- theoretically, if you lose those two away games, you're scrambling into the playoffs in Europe. And theoretically, you should get a tough draw. They, they maybe could have ended up with... Well, I can't even remember who they could have ended up with. But theoretically, they're probably coming out with a tougher draw. So those big away wins have formed the backbone of Ulster's season. Mm-hmm. The only thing I, the only thing I'll say about this week, if, if if this game was being played anywhere within Scotland, Wales, Ireland, you you're probably giving Ulster the advantage here. But the fact that they're having having to travel so far at such short notice, it's a lot to overcome. And for me, that that just puts the Stormers at enough of, a, of an advantage. To win this game, I think if it, if it was if there was nothing to do with the travel and nothing to do with the with having to get all those plans arranged, I think Ulster are the better team of the two teams. You know, if, whenever those teams come out on Friday, I think you'll be looking at Ulster's team and uh, and the Stormers team, and you'll be saying Ulster's team is better. But I just think home advantage in this occasion is going to be a massive advantage for the Stormers. I don't know. Like I, I, I actually thought the same over the weekend, and then just sort of changed my mind from Saturday evening onwards. You've turned far too optimistic for a member of the Ulster Rugby Roundup, John. Yeah, I don't know. Was this just over the course of the season that this happened? I don't know. When did you become the most optimistic member of this panel? Yeah, well, obviously <laughs> when Gareth left, but um, yeah, I, I don't know when I stopped predicting that they would lose games. Well, you will be able to see if they win or lose on Saturday. Ulster versus the DHL Stormers at DHL Stadium in Cape Town. Kickoff is at 2 p.m. UK time. That's 3 p.m. South African time. 
we will have live coverage of the game on the Belfast Telegraph website. Myself will be on live blog duty as per usual. So all that's left to be said now is thanks very much for listening. Jonathan, thank you for being with me as per usual. Not a bother. Thank you very much to Robbie Dyack for taking the time out of his busy schedule to chat to us. I think you'll agree he was absolutely superb. And thank you, as always, to all of you for listening as well, wherever you watch your rugby this weekend. Stay safe. Enjoy. We will be back next week, hopefully with a final to look forward to. But until then, see you later.